I'm glad you're here. When we pray, so I can get myself kind of centered back down, and uh, then we're going to get after Proverbs 1, 1 to 7. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name for your great glory and fame among the nations and the call for your church to disciple the nations and, and from here, right here in Rome and Floyd County, that you would that you would use this fellowship and, and other God-fearing, gospel-preaching, Bible-preaching uh, churches to reach the world for the sake of Jesus. And I pray, God, today that you would bless uh, in a special way, these college and high school graduates who have finished uh, a task and finished a course and set their mark toward an aim that we trust you have given them. So I pray you fill them with your spirit, fill them with your wisdom, and help them to take your word as a lamp for their feet and light for their path and hide it deep in their heart that it might not sin against you and it would lead them in the way of discipling the nations as they engage for the sake of the name of Jesus. So help us to do that. Help them to do that. Help us to send them well and shepherd them well. We pray, beg this of you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning we're taking a break from Genesis so that we can speak to our graduates today. And so Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1 to 7 is really our launching point. And I want to confess to you first and foremost uh, how we're going to do this this morning. is not how you would typically preach a passage from the Bible. You know how we preach from the text and it's the content of the message. Well, today is a little more of a the way you don't want to normally do it, but uh, every now and then you have the liberty to do this on special occasions. And so we're going to take that liberty this morning. And what we want to give you, uh, graduates, high school graduates and college graduates, I want to give you some wisdom applied to navigating the generations of life. Some wisdom applied to navigating the generations of life. Because God the Father, by the eternal work of the cross in Jesus Christ, through the God-breathed work of the Holy Spirit, gave us the book of Proverbs. I commend Proverbs to you. It's the manual on Christian living. Wise Christian living applied in the dirt and grime of grinding out life on a daily basis. I commend it to you. Read it. A good habit will be to read a proverb a day for 30 days and then start over in addition to your Bible reading plan. Know the proverbs. I want to give you a quick how-to on reading the proverbs because often... <clears throat> The Proverbs may be some of the most poorly read and interpreted of all the scriptures on the part of Christians. Uh, Douglas uh, Stewart and Gordon Fee in a great little book uh, that's called How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. It's sort of a primer on interpretation. Offer some help in studying Proverbs. I'm going to give that to you quickly. These notes are available on the blog, MissJolly.com. You can go pull them off and... And see them. The first thing you want to remember, graduates and Three Rivers Church, is you read the Proverbs. They're not legal guarantees from God, but they're poetic guidelines for good Christian behavior. We often read them as guarantees. Raise up a child in the way they should go. When they're old, they will not depart. That is not a guarantee. As a matter of fact, if you deal with that just from the language and deal with it. It's more a vocational raising them up and the way God has wired them and put them together when they're old, they'll be well equipped to live their life on mission, Genesis 1, 26 to 28, filling the earth from doing it for the glory of Christ. Not an ethical guideline. We often read them as legal guarantees and they're just not. They're general applications to life and they're not exhaustive. It doesn't cover every area of life. Secondly, the Proverbs have to be read as a collection. They're intended to be read as an entire canon. Not isolated one from the other. 
Which is why you should read a proverb a day for 30 days and start over. So that you get the full scope of their weight. They're worded to be memorable, not to be theoretically accurate. As a matter of fact, many of them are Hebrew acrostics. And next week you'll hear from my wife as she speaks to you on Mother's Day. From Proverbs 31, verse 10 through the end of the chapter is a Hebrew acrostic where each line begins with the letter of the Hebrew alphabet. You miss that in English. There's no way to bring that over into English. You can only see it in the original language. But they're intended to be memorable. So that these young Hebrew women and men would remember these words so that when they're grinding out life every day, they would go, you know, it's probably smart to do this. Because this is what followers of the Lord do. And so therefore, these are good guidelines to live life by. So I want to share with you some learned wisdom on what to expect in the generations of life. And how to navigate those generations, particularly with a Christian worldview. What I'm going to share with you today, I learned from a guy named Bob Beal. Bob Beal is a founding board member of Focus on the Family with uh, James Dobson. And uh, he's a brilliant dude. He's in his 70s. And, uh, and he, he is probably one of the most practically wise people I've ever been around. And so I had a chance to spend time with him and learn these generational pieces of wisdom from Bob Beal. So what I'm sharing with you is not unique to me. It's something I've learned from somebody else and made application. And I want to share with you and pass it on to you. A skill you're going to need to learn, graduates, Three Rivers Church, is how to exegete, interpret the time in which you live. You're going to need to learn the skill of exegeting the time in which you live. And so what we're doing this morning is a little bit of an exercise in that. It's taking biblical wisdom and not just foisting on you concepts and ideas, but Showing you how to read the time in which you live and make biblical application to it. Does that make sense? That's what we want to strive for is to teach you how to read your time. As a matter of fact, this is straight out of the Bible in 1 Chronicles 12.32. Speaking of some of these generations and speaking of the tribes of Israel when they were taking account on who they were and what they did well. Speaking of the men and women of Issachar, it said, Of Issachar, men who had understanding of the times. To know what Israel ought to do. We should be people, followers of Jesus Christ, graduates, who understand your times biblically. Look at them through the lens of God's Word. And make application on how to live that out today. And so what I want to share with you is some of that, but also a little bit of how to do it. And so in order to get there, we're going to start with Proverbs 1, 1 to 7. Because it gives us the purpose and value of wise, godly living. Why we should do these things. Remember, the Proverbs aren't exhaustive. They don't teach you how to live the generations of life. But I promise you, you're living in the generations of life. And they're marked by various transitions. And so Proverbs promises us knowledge and wisdom to be able to come at these things and navigate them well. And so we want to show you this morning what the Proverbs do promise and a little bit of a way to apply that wisdom to what's in front of you. So Proverbs 1, 1 to 7 says this. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight. 
So what's his purpose? That you would know wisdom and instruction and understand insight. He wants to pass on wise dealing. And what is wisdom biblically? Wisdom is truth applied. Listen, we it does you no good to simply have correct doctrine and no concept on application. Our world is fat with correct doctrine and thin, anemic on application in our world. And so it's not just to know wisdom and instruction and understanding insight. Wisdom implies the application, the grinding out of the truths of God's Word. Which is why the Proverbs are going to speak very boldly to some issues. Verse 3, to receive instruction in wise dealing and righteousness, justice and equity. So the intent is that you would receive, you'd have a receptive heart to receive from the Lord and His Word. Dealing righteously. Issues of justice. Oh, dear Christian, no better place for the gospel to be applied today than the just work of the gospel applied to every area of life for all people. That's salt and light. That's loving your neighbor as yourself. And Proverbs is going to give us some instruction. that To give prudence to the simple. To give wisdom. To give shrewdness. The word prudence here carries this idea of shrewdness. And Jesus taught us to be shrewd as a serpent, innocent as a dove. Learning to deal wisely to the simple. In other words, to teach you how to think. To teach you how to get a little bit strategic in your living. So that you don't live life. And it's not simple as in scaled down. Simple as in blinders on. Failing to recognize there's a way to do something well. He wants to give knowledge and discretion to the youth. Listen. Graduates. You're smarter than you've ever been. And dumber than you've ever been. Here's why. You have more knowledge stored up here. And practically, particularly for you dudes, the frontal lobe of your brain has not yet connected to the other parts to think logically, which is why guys get hurt badly between the age of 12 and 25. Because you don't think about the implications of what you're about to do until the legs broke. Or something worse, right? And so you know lots of information, but you know very little about how to use it in your world. And so... Solomon wants to give discretion to the youth. He says, let the wise hear and increase in learning. So if you're wise, you hear the wisdom of God applied, you increase in your learning. And there's no place for any of us in this room to tune out now because you've been graduated for however many years. But that if you are wise already, that God's Word would continue to help you grow wiser. So that you would understand, verse 6, understand a proverb and a saying. So you would learn to po and by the way, listen, I'm not a poetry guy, okay? I don't particularly care about poetry or like poetry, but God created language and He created it in such a manner that it is to be used to help truth become memorable. So there's a place for us, as Solomon says here, to understand a proverb, learn to understand the beauty of language and Poetic speaking of truth so that it becomes memorable. Which is why so much of Scripture in the poetry sections and in the literature sections, such as the Proverbs and the Psalms, they're written acrostically. You know, so that you can remember them and, and, and hold them in your mind. And so He wants you to grow in understanding those things. 
To understand the words of the wise and even their riddles. God uses story. He uses history and historical narrative to teach His truths. Which is why the Gospel of Luke is not dictated by God to Luke. It is Luke's historical account of the life of Jesus from my witnesses, yet inspired by God because God works in history. And He works in story. And He works in all these things. And a wise person reads history like the people of Issachar so that they know what they ought to do. There's no better time and place for you to learn that than now. Verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. There's a great little thing happening here in verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning. And then there's knowledge, wisdom, and instruction. All three of these words are used in Hebrew poetic rhyming. Hebrew poetry rhymes in thought, not phonics. Right? We understand rhyming to be a phonetical issue, right? The cat in the hat. Hebrew poetry doesn't rhyme that way. It rhymes in parallel thought. And the thought that's in the middle is the main thought. It's the one that gives understanding to the other things around it. Here, knowledge, wisdom, and instruction are in parallel. Meaning they're all saying the same thing. What's in the middle? Wisdom. Wisdom informs knowledge. Wisdom informs instruction. And where do you get that? You start with the fear of the Lord. (laughs) Which is why as a Christian, the place you begin to learn to navigate the generations of life is an awesome reverence, knowledge of, and application of God Himself. That's where it all begins. And so, I would even say as a former educator and, and as an as a, as educated person, the chief discipline on the planet is the study of God. Every discipline divorced from the knowledge of God is incomplete. Because if our Bible is true as we're studying in Genesis, that all things begin because God speaks them into existence, then guess what? The ultimate knowledge of that discipline begins in the knowledge of God. You want to know math better? Begin with the God who created math. I would argue math is the language of God. The earth, the universe is held together in mathematical equation. Physics, God created that. So you want to know physics, you know God. And then you study the created order. And so it all begins in the fear of the Lord. Where we get in trouble is when we begin to divorce them. And we divorce the study of the natural from the God who made the natural. We can begin to say dumb things like there is no God. Which is why Psalm 19.1 will say the fool has said in his heart there is no God. Because the fool has separated the practice from the knowledge of God. And so what we want to do is pass on to you wisdom. We want to pass on to you wise living. Proverbs 3.13-18 promises us something about wise living. It says, blessed is the one who finds wisdom. That's not what we say. We get stuff. I'm blessed. You may be cursed. Jesus said about the rich man, fool. You got bigger barns. You got more stuff to store them. Do you not know tonight your life is required of you? More is not blessed. You may be cursed. I don't know about you, but the more I get, the more stressed I get. Blessed is the one who finds what? Wisdom. Grace of God is the one who gains this insight and the fear of the Lord. And the one who gets understanding. Why? Verse 14. For the gain from her is better 
than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. She's more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her. In other words, listening to and obeying wise counsel will literally save you money. It is more precious than money, he says. Do we believe that? That understanding the application of truth to life is better than money? That's what the Bible says. Long life, verse 16, is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness. And all her paths are peace. You've seen the fool whose life is constantly in chaos because there is no application of God's Word. It's just from one sensory experience to the next, trying to meet some perceived need as best I possibly can for myself, with myself as the end. And they go from one chaotic thing to the other. The Bible calls that person in Proverbs a fool. As a matter of fact, Solomon will go on to tell us in the Proverbs, be careful about spending time with fools. Because their folly might rub off on you. Verse 18, she's a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. There's life to be had in wisdom. There's life to be had in wisdom. Why? Because you're going to read in Proverbs, you're going to discover that it is by wisdom that God laid the foundation of the earth. Wisdom is the tool God used to create. And if God created all things by the tool of wisdom, and we as image bearers are given wisdom, guess what we get to do? We get to be propagators of life. We get to be teachers of life. We get to be people who create and multiply life, not only in our relationships by having children, but spiritually by passing on wise things that give life. So I want to share with you some wisdom applied to navigating the generations of life. I want to give you some stuff that's been mined out of living by wise people. This has been helpful for me. I wish I had known this. I wish on my graduation day from Pepperell High School in 1991 and Shorter College. Yeah, amen. Shorter College in 1997. Yes, six-year plans. Okay, I got there. But I wish someone had sat me down and said, here's what you can expect in your 20s, in your 30s, in your 40s, in your 50s, in your 60s, in your 70s. So I want to share that with you this morning. I want to take some wisdom from applying a Christian worldview to life and pass it on to you. So there's something here for everybody. Okay? So let's start here. Your 20s. Your 20s. College graduate, high school graduate. It's all about survival. It's all about survival. Because what you're going to find in your 20s is you're going to discover you're still trying to figure out exactly what you want to do. For many of us, and many of you may be sitting here, you went through a college program and graduated with a degree that you now discover is worthless. You have $100,000 in debt and the best you can possibly hope for is a $30,000 a year job. And you're stuck going, what am I supposed to do now? You're trying to survive. You're trying to make it through. Those of you going into college are trying to figure out with, with what I can expect in the job market and, and what this is going to cost me, what am I supposed to do now? And you're going to go through these plans. You're going to try to navigate. Should I do this? Should I do that? Should I go here? Should I go there? And you're just trying to discover what God created you to be and to do. 
The 20s applied to Western civilization is all about survival. I would argue this. The rest of the world, by and large, finds that in their 20s, they have already discovered what they're there to do. As a matter of fact, the educational system, the European educational system, begins in high school doing what we do in college. Which is why when I've looked at PhD programs here in the States, I still have to do coursework. 30 hours of coursework for a doctorate. I've had all the coursework I can handle. In Europe, the PhD program is dissertation only. You become the expert. And so in a lot of places around the world, the 20s aren't discovering what I was made to do. They did that in high school. And so, but for us here, you're just trying to figure out what God's made me to do and be, and you're trying to navigate that. And so, I want to share this with you. In your 20s in survival, you have the greatest creative energy the world has ever known. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, that power is the Holy Spirit. And I want you to understand something. He created your 20s not just to survive, but He wants you to thrive. One of the negative things about the 20-somethings is this inability to find something to give themselves away to. There are far too many Christians in their 20s wandering in the name of Jesus. Just wandering, place to place, looking for something to plug into, something to do, no direction. What I want to say to you is God created you, Psalm 139, with all of your days beginning to end mapped out. Read it. It's in the manual. Meaning He created you with a purpose. He created you with an end and something for you to do in this glorious universe that He made. And so I want you to move from survival to thrival. I want you to move into discovering what God made you to do and be. I would go so far, and I know this is against conventional wisdom. Find what God made you to do and be before you lock yourself down into something that will trap you the rest of your life. But find it. Seek it out. Find that. It's a wise thing because those who find wisdom, it's better than money. Remember we just read that. And it would be wise for you to lock that down. Because this is important about the 20s. You have more physical energy than you're ever going to have in your life. Guess what? It's all downhill from here. (laughs) It's downhill, baby. I'm telling you. And you may find about 25, it starts waning then. And right now, you have more energy than you're ever going to have. And what I would say to you is, this is the prime time to begin to set your nose north on that compass toward God's purpose for you. And apply the strength of life to that. So figure out who you are. Don't just survive, thrive. Bob Bill says you just need to survive. And I say, thrive. Don't let this world system rob you of your ability to make a difference. Now, the world won't expect a lot of you. God expects out of you what He created you to be and do. The greatest pursuit in life will be you pursuing that created purpose and then giving your life to it. So move from survival to thrival. You make it through your 20s and you discover what that thing is, you're going to find this, success and focus. Success and focus. You move into your 30s, you've hopefully by then begun to discover who you are and what God made you to do and be. And you're going to begin to nail that down and you're going to be good at it. And being good at that is going to provide some opportunities for you. And you're going to find in that success that there are going to be more opportunities come your way. And the challenge in your 30s is going to be to move from success to focus. Because I promise you this, 
Everything around you is wired and geared to throw at you abundant opportunities. If you're even partially good at what you do, there are going to be a thousand different opportunities come your way. And the challenge for you in your 30s is to begin to take your success and focus it somewhere. You're going to ask the question, which things do I do? What do I give my time to? 30-something parents know this struggle hard. Which one do we do? Which ones don't we do? 30-something singles discover which ones do I do, which ones don't I do. And so your challenge is going to begin to focus in on that place that's somewhat of a sweet spot. Don't get too ahead of yourself. I would say this to you, take time and get that right. But you're going to have to begin to limit yourself and to begin to cut off things that don't match the criteria of what God created you to be and do. In your 40s, it's all about significance and struggle. I'm right smack dab in the middle of this. Significance and struggle. The unfortunate thing about this season of life is the world system calls it midlife crisis. And unfortunately, a lot of men, Christian men, use this as an excuse to cheat on their marriage or to poorly invest God's resources in unnecessary toys because what they're looking for at this time in life is significance. They're starting to recognize, like me, I'm a quarter of the way. If if life were four quarters of football, sorry, my illustration, if life were four quarters of football, I'm a quarter of the way through the third quarter of my life. That's sobering. And the question that begins to come up is, am I doing what matters Am I giving because time is precious? You'll start to recognize as you move from your 30s to 40s, the weeks get exponentially faster. I used to laugh at old people when they said, the time's just going by. I'm like, it's creeping by for me. It goes faster. I think there's a mathematical equation somewhere to describe it. But weeks fly by and you recognize that the end is not that far off for me. And I'm starting to wonder, have I given my life to what matters? Is there something else I should be doing? I'll just be very frank with you. You know I'm very transparent. You know that, right? Matter of fact, maybe too transparent, but you know me cold. 2018 has been the year that I'd have to decide whether or not I'm going to keep running this direction or I'm going in another direction. Because I've got a quarter and a half of life left to live and I'm going to stand before the Creator of the universe and give an account. I believe that. My Bible teaches me for that. And I, I, I teach him that. And I can't afford to get that wrong. Neither can you. And so these 40s are a place of significance and struggle. And I don't mean significance in gathering material wealth. That is biblically immature. I mean significance in that my life counts. Jesus said, store up for yourself treasure in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy and thieves cannot break in and steal. For where your treasure is, or where your heart is, there your treasure is. In other words, this season of life is all about you discovering where you're laying up treasure. You have a fat 401k and go to hell. Fact. And think you're going to heaven. Even worse. So what you want to begin to find out in your 40s is, am I laying up treasure in heaven? 
Does my life count for eternal things? What am I doing with my time? The 40s is going to be all about seeking that one thing. That one thing. Jonathan Purser sat down with me a few months ago because he knew, I asked him, I'm struggling through this and I need to know that I've, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And he gave me a worksheet and gave me a list of books to read and I've plowed through every one of those books and I'm working on that one thing. And that worksheet that he created is the one thing. What is the one thing? What is the one thing you want to give your life to? The one thing that you'll shed everything else to go for. That's what you're going to go for in your 40s. If you're going to find the one thing, you're going to have to cut ties with loved work. Because you found you can do several things well. But if you're going to find that one thing, you're going to have to cut ties with the other things too. To focus on the one thing. I'd argue for every single one of us in this generation of life, this is where we sharpen our ministry focus. This is where we find out what we can do to leave the best impact we can possibly leave and then we get ourselves after it hard and not waste the rest of our lives. I'd suggest if you're in your 40s and graduates, go ahead and write this down and buy the book now before it goes out of print. You ready? If you've got something to write with, fine. If not, it's on the blog. I'd suggest you go get Bob Buford's book called Halftime. Just show of hands. If you've read Halftime, raise your hand. Awesome! Then you go buy the book. Every single one of you. Go get it. Support him. He's an East Texas boy. Guy made lots of money. He got into his 40s and asked the question, what am I doing with my life? And he found his one thing and he gives you some good practical advice as a Christian on finding that one thing. Bob Buford, halftime. So graduates, go get the book. Set it on your shelf and get prepared. You may hit that phase somewhere in your mid-30s to your mid-40s or up to 50 years old. Have it ready to go. Significance and struggle. Your 50s. And if you're a college graduate or high school graduate, you're sitting there going, don't care. You need to care. You need to care. If you're in your 50s, you're going, talk to me. Your 50s, this is where you become the expert. This is where you hit your stride. You've discovered that one thing and you've narrowed it down and now you're doing it and running hard after it. And you found that one thing and your life is given over to that one thing and you do it better than anybody else. You figured out who you are. You're comfortable in your skin. You don't care what anybody else thinks. You've got a track record now. And people look to you and you're the expert. And listen, 50-somethings, this is not where you start slowing down. This is where you speed up. This is when you press the gas harder. You're the expert now. And people want to know, I want to know, what are you doing? How are you doing it? Don't slow down for me, speed up. I want to run in your wake. And I would argue the rest of the world needs to see you running that hard. In your 60s, this is your strategic season. This is the decade of life where many in our part of the world mail it in. They start quitting on life. Matter of fact, I go to irs.org on a weekly basis. And I log in and see exactly where I'm going to be when that time comes. I just want to see. I want to know. You know, It might not be there when I get there, but right now it's there. And so I'm, I'm wanting to know. And it's easy to see that and go, well, I can afford to. And we start finding excuses to quit. 
What I want to say to you 60-somethings, this is the most strategic time in your life because now you have less energy, but you know how to be the most efficient person on the planet. Because you have to use less energy to get the same amount done. And you know tricks that we need to know. And so pass them on. Again, don't start slowing down. Speed up. Run hard. Let me tell you where you want to go. You want to know how to die full of the Spirit? Die the way Paul died. Die the way Stephen died. Whatever your appointed day is, run hard into eternity. Not limping. You hear that figuratively, not like, not like, like literally, because you might not be able to run physically. But you can pass on what you know. You can take people under your wing. You have knowledge to pass on. Your life's not over. You've entered the most strategic part of your life. Don't quit here. You can dial it in. Some of the most important things are still ahead of you. You can get them just right and pass them off to those 20-somethings who can now take them and learn from them and be better 20-somethings. Which is one of the reasons we do multi-generational groups in our churches. We try not to segregate generationally because there are things some of you guys know that I need to know. And there are some things I know that some of you need to know. And if we're segregated generationally, we're never going to learn it. Sixty-somethings, you're strategic and you have something to pass on. Don't quit here. Seventies, it's all about succession. (laughs) Yes, Bonnie, I'll be careful. I'm going to be careful. Your seventies is all about succession. I've heard Pastor Bob Roberts say it this way. The world is ran by 70-year-old tired people. And that's true. It's true. The world is ran by 70 year olds. See, at this time of life is where you begin to pass on your legacy. This is where you take all of your spiritual sons and daughters and you hand them the reins of your work. You take a look at generations. This is why you need to read biographies. This is one of the reasons we do biographies for you on All Saints Day so that you know some people in history. And what you begin to see is these people, as they ran hard toward their appointed day, they begin to pass off work to subsequent generations. There's work today on this earth being done that's five and six hundred years old, passed on by seventy-somethings who handed it off to twenty-somethings. So seventies is where you start thinking succession and legacy, passing on your Christian legacy. Listen, this is, this is where Christian legacy matters. This is why living a life of wisdom for the sake of Jesus Christ among the nations is key because you will pass off that work to finish the Great Commission. The end is that the world would know the redeeming, saving work of Jesus Christ on the cross, repent and believe, and be birthed into the kingdom of God and be part of ushering in the kingdom of God. And you 70-somethings can pass the reins of that knowledge off. And a legacy of work that will not die when you dies because it lives forever. That's storing up treasure in heaven, not on earth. Don't quit in your 70s. Keep running until you can't run anymore. So graduates, in closing, do not be short-sighted. The worst mistake you can make is live simply for today. Live today obediently with your 70s in mind. 
Set yourself up today for your 70s if the Lord allows you to live that long. But whatever you do, don't live short-sighted. Think ahead. Begin with the end in mind. It may just help you navigate those 20s that are about to kick you in the face. It will. And trust me, you're going to get kicked in the face. And it's okay. Which is why you need us and we need you. Because when you get kicked in the face, you've got a place to be and come. And we're going to pick you up, dust you off, and then sit you back out there to get kicked again. Because <laughs> life's going to kick you. But if you know what's coming... If you know what's coming, you can be prepared. And what we learned in Proverbs chapter 3 is that's better than money. It's better than money. So what do we do with this now? We worship. We said when we studied through worship, that worship is communion with God in which believers by grace center their minds, attention, their hearts, affection on the Lord, humbly glorifying God in response to the revelation of His glory and His majesty, right? Well, God has revealed to us in the Proverbs that there's a way to live that's wise. He's given us instruction in how to navigate life. I can't think of a better reason to worship Him than that. So would you join and let's worship the Lord together. Let's pray. Father, we pray now in Jesus' name that you would cause your people to make much of you in song. Lord, I pray that you would Take your word and some of your word applied to our day and time today. And I pray that you would cause it to land in the hearts of these graduates. And I pray you cause it to land in the hearts of all of us where we are on the timeline of your creative purpose for us. And Lord, I pray that you would bring forth good instruction on what to do next. You made us with an end in mind. Help us to know that and live according to that. Please, Lord. Lord, I pray now for help to sing of your praise. May we make much of you because you have been gracious and kind to us. So do that now, Lord. We, we, we can't make worship happen. We need you to help us. So we pray that you would generate that, create joy in our heart, repentance in our heart, all the things necessary to come and give you thanks and praise. And we ask this in Jesus' name.